Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I am a revolving pyrotechnic portrait of your dead grandmother, Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. Creepy! And I am a tragic member of the working class whose birth certificate literally just says gas man, and I am so underqualified that I think my job is to jam a flathead into a crack in the cement. Siren Rex Fry. <laughs> this is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Today we are discussing Charmed Season 1, Episode 15 is there a woogie in the house the title is based on the mega cliche expression is there a doctor in the house which is often used in media especially old movies during like a medical emergency where there's a large crowd around um i think this title is a little bit lazy but there is in fact a woogie in the house so i'll give them that (laughs) according to imdb this episode was rated 8.3 out of 10 and for very good reason and is the one where phoebe becomes possessed by an evil entity that was banished by the sister's grandmother years ago a little simplistic as a description but okay fairly accurate though unlike some of them (laughs) yeah true The episode was written by Edith Swinson and Chris Levinson and directed by John T. Kretschmer. I like this episode a lot and for a lot of reasons. The acting is pretty superb and this is a great ensemble episode where each character is equally relevant and I feel like their character traits are pretty strongly represented throughout it. This episode also serves to establish the manor as a character in and of itself. You know, no matter how many additional sets get added to the show, the manor is the one which remains iconic. And this episode establishes the Nexus mythology of their house, which stays prevalent throughout the show and actually creates the climax of season seven. I love this episode. I think season one has really found its footing. I think they really figured out what they were doing back in episode nine, because genuinely, I think I love every episode for the rest of the season. And there are so many cool things to talk about with this one that I feel like we should just dive right in. Let's do it. So we get this really cool opening shot of the main hall of the manor, totally empty, silent, and still. Beams of light come in from the window, and it just looks really gorgeous. And then we hear the earth shaking, and the manor follows suit. And apparently this was merely an aftershock of a larger earthquake that has happened earlier. A little continuity error. During this scene, a vase falls over and shatters on the floor, but in a couple seconds, Prue is going to pick this same vase up off the table and just set it back up. (laughs) I didn't notice that, actually. I think um, you noticing that the cool opening shot of the manor, I think that's important because, again, like I said, this episode kind of sets up the manor, the set itself, as a character. And so what do we see? It's like a really great shot of the manor first thing i think it's kind of telling us like this is an episode about the house the house is important yeah and it just it looks beautiful and i think it's the first time that we've seen like a still long shot of the manor itself by itself with nothing going on and like you said it serves to set up the manor as a character and i think it's really really cool do you know what like i'm just thinking this now um charmed definitely had an effect on me romanticizing home ownership (laughs) You know, and I think this episode probably definitely plays a part in that. Like, it really creates the idea of, like, your house as your, like, witchy sanctuary. And who doesn't want that, right? Yeah, absolutely. The sisters come down the stairs mostly calm, except for Phoebe. We learn that Phoebe is afraid of earthquakes. And I will just never get over the way that Shannon Doherty says the word naked. Naked. 
she's like, I I don't like earthquakes, but I don't go running around the house naked screaming run for your lives either. Why does she say it like that? I, I don't know because she's from Tennessee. Do they, is that what they say? Yeah, I, I don't know much about Shannon Doherty's background, but I have a hard time believing that she went to acting school because they will like hammer regional accents out of you to the point where like they want you to talk like a mid-Atlantic aristocrat from the 20s. Like it's... They don't want any sort of like regional accent when you're studying acting. So like, I mean, she's a phenomenal actress. I just don't know. I don't know what her accent is about. And it's like, she doesn't even try to hide it. She just like says stuff like that. And I'm like, what? Naked. Naked. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she was like the most famous of them at this point, right? So maybe she was just like, I'll say what I want. You fucking need me. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Uh, The girls head to the kitchen and it's a mess. There's an ominous smell that is assumed to be ghastly and this could be a problem because there's this weird situation driving the narrative forth in this episode where you know Claire Prue's boss is forcing her to host a dinner party at her house for some Buckland's client um kind of weird that's definitely not something that I would ever do for work but I'm also not getting paid as much as Prue is assumably that's a really huge abuse of power and a huge violation of Prue's privacy. So for this episode and then the following few episodes to come, I start to really hate Claire because she really oversteps and abuses her authority. She overextends what would normally be allowed for a boss to do in the next few episodes and literally puts Prue in danger because of it. And it, that's true. it's that's just true. like... I'm just starting to really not like her. Oh, she's definitely not likable. She's a terrible boss. I just um, kind of like the actress. Like, she's just kind of good at being, like, a prim and proper bitch. Yeah, that's fair. Not that I'd want to hang out with that kind of person, but just because you don't like someone doesn't mean they're not entertaining on television. <laughs> very true, very true. The gas man that is called the gas man the whole episode... That's his name. <laughs> ...shows up as Prue panics... And as Phoebe tries to reassure her, she has to cover the fact that she said the word ass for some reason. She's like, Claire will kiss your ass, astronomical assets. And it's like fucking talent. Stupid. <laughs> her astronomical talent. I think I think it's funny. I think it serves multiple purposes. Um, I think it's a little bit of humor where like, you know, we established later that the gas man is like this like family man, like church going youth group kind of fella. Uh-huh. You know? Just the kind of person who abuses women in their own homes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so he's like a fuddy-duddy or whatever. (laughs) And so it's kind of a comedic moment where, like, Phoebe is being vulgar and then she has to cover it up because there's some, like, rando guy in the house who might be offended. But then it also... See, tricks like this can really get around the amount of profanity that, like, you're allowed to use in one episode of television. Mm Mm-hmm. So technically, Phoebe said ass, but because of the delivery and the writing, like, that's an extra swear word that they can use later, because in the script, she didn't say ass. She said astronomical. That's true, because there is, like, there's a certain number of, like, asses and bitches and dammits that you can use per episode, per season of television for, like, standards and practices. For shows that were, like, on primetime networks like this, it's a little less common now, but... Yeah, now Netflix makes everything and you can say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, so, like, that's definitely something that makes it make a lot more sense, but when I first watched it, I was like, why did she do that? That was that was really fucking stupid. Now, see, I think things like that are clever. They're, they do it again in an episode of season two where Piper says ass fault. <laughs> but that one 
in context of the story makes a little bit more sense. A, a little bit, yeah. Because they have that, like, do-gooder motherfucker with them. But anyway, <laughs> we learn that Phoebe is afraid of the basement, which, you know, I brought I brought this up in, like, one of our first episodes. But in the pilot episode, the first episode, she also would not go down to the basement. So I think it it's um, actually a little bit of maybe unintentional continuity that she's afraid of the basement in this episode. So here we kind of establish that this episode is going to be about the boogeyman, except they call it the woogeyman and they blame it on Phoebe's childhood buck teeth (laughs) that she said woogeyman. And they continue to call it the woogeyman, not the boogeyman for like the rest of the show. And I almost like wonder what, what the decision-making process behind that was like, um, was, were they afraid of copyright? Cause I don't think anybody's copywritten the boogeyman. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that Disney probably thinks they do, but... um, (laughs) Or were they trying to be, like, less traditional, and so they changed it a little bit? Kind of like that disaster with the werewolf Wendigo thing? I think it was, like, a world-building thing. Like a create-their-own-individual mythology? Yeah, well, and it also, like, connects to Phoebe and creates this sort of, like, character history within the universe... Mm -hmm calling it the woogie man the whole time. I think that that's actually really clever and it sets it apart from like a generic boogeyman story too. That's true. That's true. That's an excellent point. I think this scene is really cute and very sisterly the way that they like poke fun of Phoebe. But by the end of the episode, it feels a little tasteless considering what transpires. Yeah. I just remember this thing that you said when we were watching it together. How do they not believe in the boogeyman after everything else they've dealt with? Like, why do they think that this particular thing is just as, story and um you got me (laughs) yeah it doesn't it really doesn't make sense i feel like these witches be stupid they're they're so dumb after everything that you've seen and everything that you've been through and everything that you you've done over the last half a season why would this be the thing that isn't real to you it was very similar to like what was going on in from Fear to Eternity in the Friday the 13th episode where Prue was like, we faced all kinds of evil spirits that didn't have anything to do with salt. Why is that so unbelievable to you? I just, I don't get the way that they're so skeptical of things sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. well, and Piper's done a complete turnaround here because she was terrified of everything in From Fear to Eternity, but here now she's the one who's doubting that it's real. Yeah. So Mr. Gas Man goes down into the basement, um, and he turns on the fluorescent light, which soon after, like, explodes and goes out. Um, so apparently, this is something you would absolutely not do if you suspected a gas leak. Because guess what? You probably just would have set the damn house on fire. But as we're about to establish, Mr. Gasman here is maybe doing this as a side gig, even though his name is Gasman. Um, and he does not have the proper training. He is hideously underqualified. Okay. (laughs) So he goes down to the basement in the dark with his safety flashlight on, finally doing something right. And he trips over this crack in the floor, which he sees and thinks it's suspicious. And then he's like, I know the best way to fix this gas leak is to take a screwdriver and jam it into this crack in the floor and try to pry the floor apart. Why would you think that would work anyway? And I guess what's even more unreal realistic is that he with his human strength and nothing but a screwdriver does pry the concrete floor apart (laughs) allowing ancient evil to escape yeah so he stabs the floor with this screwdriver and releases this dark cloud with a super video game character voice and it says so obviously some scary shit is going down in yelling timber in this episode Wrong. I can't say 
not correct. It's time for You Must Be Myth Taken. This is the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. So in this episode... And throughout the show, the creature we face is referred to as both the Woogie and the Shadow. Though Prue does explicitly call it the Boogeyman at one singular point in this episode. So that's where we decided to like take it initially. And so we have a couple of different things to cover in this myth taken because the things that transpire sort of encompass a couple of different mythologies. So I wanted to cover as much as possible since this is a really unique situation that we're presented with here. I'm really excited to talk about the boogeyman and I've kind of always been interested in the boogeyman ever since I saw that movie It's a 2005 movie literally just called boogeyman. And I really liked it. I thought it was like a really artistic supernatural thriller. And you know, from there we get into like, I think the boogeyman itself is kind of a cross cultural archetype. You know, it's, it's a figure that exists all over the world whether or not the people who came up with it had any contact with each other or not so you may think of it as just kind of like this dumb like children's fear but it's actually universal and so i find that fascinating so let's get into it yeah so what i did already know or at least anticipate is that the word boogeyman is used to describe a spirit or creature and it's a pretty broad term and the the origin of which can really only be speculated i couldn't find any like concrete evidence of this is the first time it was ever used correct so we have a couple of things that could be related or not um it's unclear but one of the earliest theories involves a group of 1800s pirates who were based on an island off of Indonesia and they were known as the Boogie or Buganese. These pirates terrorized sailors of the East India Trading Company and it's thought that survivors of their raids returned home with terrifying tales of boogie men. Oh okay. I know right? Fascinating. So it actually could be like kind of (laughs) racist. Oh shit. I mean, what's not racist, honestly? Pretty much nothing. Around that same time period, the word bogey appeared in English as an improper name for literally Satan himself. Etymologically, this is related to the Middle English bog, which could mean either terror or scarecrow. And this way, the boogeyman legend is also likely related to the Middle English bugbear, which is a mythological demon bear that eats children. It's also suggested that the term is adapted from boogeyman after those that would haul away dead bodies during the Black Plague. Ew, yeah. that's also gross. I know. So boogeyman is essentially an umbrella term that's often used to describe a shape-shifting spirit or creature that preys on disobedient children, either merely to scare them or to whisk them away and eat them. And when I read that, I started to think of like Krampus. Yes, there is definitely some Krampus going on in there. Yeah. But I think what a lot of the the boogeyman stuff has in common is it is literally a tale to scare children into behaving. Yeah. And if you think about the way that it's used in this episode specifically, um, we're talking about Phoebe maybe being somewhat morally ambiguous compared to her other sisters and the monster first attacking when she was a child. So we have a little bit of mythological content continuity there. So I think it's worth mentioning that Boogeyman has evolved into an English idiom for a scapegoat when nobody else wants to take the blame for something bad. You can probably recall media instances of children refusing to fess up for bad behavior and then the parent asks them, then who did it? The Boogeyman? I feel like that literally happened in my actual childhood. From there, Boogeyman has sort of evolved into a farcical title given to a person who gets blamed for everything. Um, and I've heard this at work multiple times too. Think for example of a co 
coworker who consistently messes up or doesn't finish their job, um, this person might start getting blamed for everything that goes wrong at the business, thus becoming the boogeyman of the business, the person that we blame for everything, whether we know they did it or not. So this is all worth mentioning because most media depictions of the boogeyman include humans being blamed for what the unseen supernatural boogeyman is doing. Oh, and that's present in this episode too. Yes, exactly. The physical descriptions of what the boogeyman looks like vary depending on the culture of origin, but there are references to boogeyman-like creatures all over the world. My first introduction to the word boogeyman was in the Disney Channel original movie Don't Look Under the Bed, which is this terrifying children's movie about the boogeyman. And in the film, when a child stopped believing in their imaginary friend, that friend becomes a boogeyman. Of course, this film also imparts the great feminist wisdom that it's actually boogie person. <laughs> and again, it's interesting here because in that movie, the main character, Francis, was also blamed for a bunch of stuff that the boogeyman did. So we have that mythology repeating itself here too. Yeah, absolutely. That concept, the imaginary friend thing, kind of made me think of like a servitor, which is a term used in chaos magic to describe an entity entirely created by a witch to perform a certain task. And if you don't like pay attention to that specific thing it can like go off the handle and do some crazy shit so get out of control yeah so interesting that's really really cool i think that this episode is just really clever and does a really great job of incorporating all of that mythology really well into each other the spirit we encounter in this episode does things in my opinion that are kind of more akin to like poltergeist activity which is something that we can get in if we want to i mean yeah i think that makes sense um I think it's, it is kind of boogeyman-ish, but it's something else entirely, which I guess is also maybe why they wanted to call it a woogie. Because it has the whole, like, darkness, basement, child fear kind of thing going on but it also definitely does some poltergeisty stuff it does so a poltergeist is german for noisy ghost or noisy spirit and it's a type of ghost or spirit that's responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises objects being moved or destroyed most claims about or fictional descriptions of poltergeists show them being capable of pinching biting hitting and tripping people uh they're also depicted as capable of movement or levitation of objects such as furniture or cutlery or noises such as knocking doors. They've traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person instead of a specific location, which doesn't really fit in this episode, but there's more about them that kind of does. Some variation of poltergeist folklore is found in many different cultures. Early claims of spirits that supposedly harass or torment victims date back to like the first century, but references to poltergeists became a lot more common in the early 17th century. And the reason I wanted to bring them into this conversation here is because they aren't aren't always a dead person or a demon or what have you. Poltergeist-like entities can manifest out of a lot of different types of energies. Historically, malicious spirits were blamed for poltergeist activity, and according to Alan Kardec, the founder of Spiritism, which I admittedly have not done much research on, but I found this uh, excerpt kind of interesting. Poltergeists are manifestations of disembodied spirits of a low level. Under this explanation, they're believed to be closely associated with the elements of fire, air, water, and earth, which is kind of like what we encounter with the Nexus. I think the nature of both of these spirits and their mythologies are kind of ambiguous and present in many different cultures in multiple ways. And so for that reason, I think it's a really good example of both 
both of those things, actually. So overall, I think this episode did a good job with what they were trying to do. It does. But at the same time, do you sort of feel like we never really get established like what the Woogie Man is or where it comes from? Because the mythology surrounding the Woogie specifically changes as the show goes on. The Nexus stays the same, but the Woogie Man, not so much. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So Phoebe has ordered some CDs under a fake name and apparently to her sisters, this means she's a felon. And Phoebe's just like, I'm not that innocent. (laughs) And Piper's actually, Piper's like, um, actually you're a dumb little baby that won't even go to the basement. Ouch. Uh, Phoebe has loose morals. That's the whole point of this. They had to sneak something in to say that Phoebe is morally ambiguous. So what she did is, you know, she used a fake name to order some free CDs from one of those like sweepstakes or let's get your credit card involved and send you a bunch of magazines against your will kind of businesses. But really, to me, that just says that Phoebe is on the same thing that she's always on, which is be gay, do crime. But honestly, why is that so bad? She did it to get free stuff. I mean, just who fucking cares? That's such an innocent little thing to do. It's kind of a little, it's like a, it's not really a moral incursion so much as a capitalist (laughs) sin, I think right there. It's implied that she's like screwing a business out of something, even though businesses like that are, you know, basically scams anyway. Like maybe she didn't want to give them her actual credit card information or her like actual name and get signed up for something that she didn't want to be a part of. She just wanted some like, now that's what I call music 97. You know? Yep. You know, that's what she got. She got some jewels. She got some Alanis Morissette. (laughs) The gas man comes up and is acting really strange. Like, completely different than he was just a second ago. And the girls are just like, well, as long as we can still do what we want, we don't care. And the gas man goes back to the basement and plots to get Phoebe possessed. Then we have the opening credits. This episode opens with yet another iconic 90s song. It's called Zavalo House, and it's performed by the musician Osley. This song is literally about a creepy house being haunted by the boogeyman. And I love it. It's so fucking 90s and weird. And there's literally a a point before the music fades out where the singer just goes, Zappo, Zappo, Zappo. (laughs) What the fuck? And this song was literally just released the same year as it was added to this episode, which to me suggests an uptake in what Charmed could afford to spend on production value at this point. The song was featured in Osley's 1999 self-titled album, which is apparently mostly about the singer's hometown of Anniston, Alabama. So it's likely that the creepy Zavalo house was an actual place. Oh, so at Buckland's, Claire is manipulating Prue after she uses her powers for menial tasks for the third episode in a row. Fucking hypocrite, bitch. Hypocrite. And then the reason for this imposition walks in sporting one of the ugliest outfits i've ever seen and acting like a total stalker she's like i have bad hair crazy eyes and know everything about your house (laughs) she says it's on a spiritual nexus which is a plot point that we focus on a lot later in the episode and for the rest of the show professor beth whittlesey is psycho this chick is crazy she literally does have crazy eyes she does she like She walks in with her stringy ass red hair and her crazy eyes and she's like smiling super big. It's like, oh, I'm so excited to be in your house later, person I've never met. (laughs) 
I'm going to suggest that I know all sorts of things about you, and then I'm going to start talking about magic, which, yes, you are a witch, but to a normal person, that would seem pretty crazy. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a professor? I talk about your home, specifically, to rooms full of strangers on a regular basis. I literally fly a drone over your house and photograph it and then show it to an amphitheater of students. Uh, she's fucking wild. She's wild. Yeah, she is bonkers. So in this scene, we learn that crazy bitch Professor Whittlesey is going to be bringing another person to dinner. And Piper is so pissed that there's a plus one that she basically acts like a total Karen to another Sean Cody knockoff. Do you know the actor who plays Josh is literally named Sean? So yeah, no. He is Sean Cody from an hour on. We, we talked about when you were visiting, because Siren was just here and we were like hanging out and it was a good time. Um, when you were visiting, we talked about coming up with like porn names for all of these mm -hmm. like porn actor guys. This guy's name is Sean Christian. I cannot. That's a porn name if I've ever heard. That him. is such a porn name. But apparently Piper has a type. And it's blonde men that look like they just got off the bait bus. I mean, isn't that everyone's type? <laughs> <laughs> she debates stealing his wine after freezing him, but decides she'll come up with a different way to see him after she goes home and jerks off to the video he just made in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so she literally like freezes him and then disappears and she's like, I don't want to use my magic to steal that wine, but I will blatantly pull a disappearing act right in front of him because that's not going to reveal that I'm a witch. Yeah. And she like, anything. she's like, I grew up in a house with two sisters and I know how to do this. And he looks so afraid of her when she like throws up her hands to freeze him. He does. I mean, I would act the same way if Holly Marie Combs threw up her hands at me, I would duck and cover bitch. <laughs> Honestly. All right. So back at the manor, Grams is picture is upside down and Phoebe is fixing it and that's when the gas man calls for help from the basement. Phoebe goes to check on him. She touches the wall or this ugly wall art or something. This like picture um, of them as ugly little kids is what her hand touches um, as they go into the basement. Okay, that's what it is. Got yeah. it. Okay, so she touches a photo of herself as an ugly child <laughs> and um, she has a premonition of her grandmother in the past um, this is the first time that we see Penny or Grams, played by Jennifer Rhodes, who they cast for such a minor role in this episode and thankfully kept her afterwards. Yeah, she's um, great. Because Jennifer Rhodes is fantastic. So yeah, so she has a premonition of her grandmother fighting off some kind of shadow demon in the basement. To everyone involved, says, well, there's danger if you go in the basement. But Phoebe is like, yeah, I'll just do it anyway. When Phoebe gets down there, she talks to this shadow like she throws shade with it at brunch every fucking morning like it does like yeah it's like they like know each other like she's like oh you're back oh you again like do they hang out what's the deal and <laughs> if the nexus is supposed to be a neutral force within the context of the show why is the shadow evil right off the bat i don't understand why that's a thing well that's so that's how I feel like the mythology changes. Because I feel like the Woogie Man is separate from the Nexus in this episode. But as time goes on, it's sort of like they blend the two concepts together. Mm -hmm. You know? Because when the Woogie Man shows up again in season two, it's definitely not the Nexus. It's just the Woogie Man. But then later, the Shadow is part of the Nexus or something. And that's like a whole big thing. It's really weird. So it seems like in the context of this episode, the Woogie Man is a demon that was attracted to the Nexus and um, Graham's like sealed it away with the Nexus which maybe not the best decision yeah maybe not um, maybe not um <laughs> 
Anyway, that's why I said, like, you, do, we, do we ever really get a clear answer as to what the Woogeyman is? Like, I don't think so. I don't think we do. Piper comes home and calls herself a culinary pachyderm, which I assumed meant that she was a donkey. Uh, well, so it's like a pachyderm is like a load-bearing animal. Like, elephants used to carry a bunch of shit for people. Oh. And Piper's like all college-educated and shit. Oh, and, and I am a college dropout, so that's why I'm confused. <laughs> oh, um, oh, honey. But the gas man oh. attacks her, and Phoebe fairly odd parents up a bat out of thin air to beat him off i mean up with um and this confuses both of them piper's like where did you get the bat and phoebe's like i don't fucking know bitch i love that piper piper's immediately like did you find the bat in a closet or did you materialize it out of thin air with magic these are the only two options <laughs> this scene is really really intense piper being attacked is really intense it is the music is like pretty intense too yeah um my favorite part about the scene though is that Piper, when she starts to feel threatened, she's like, my sister will be home soon. Have you seen my sister? <laughs> like, ev- like, just everyone is, like, afraid of Shannon Doherty as though she's, like, your beefy football player boyfriend. She's big and you she'll know? beat you up. Like, she, I mean, she is, her, like, her eyeliner is scary. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of Shannon Doherty. I'm afraid of Shannon Doherty now. That bitch beat cancer. She can beat me. <laughs> so when Phoebe gets questioned about her new power of materializing sporting equipment out of thin air, um, she acts really grumpy and Prue is like, I think you were in the Book of Shadows doing one of your stupid spells because you're such a screw up. And Phoebe is like, you're just mad because not everything is about you in this episode. <laughs> yeah, since so she like stalks off like an angsty teen and we see that Graham's photo is completely upside down like the crucifix and the exorcist. (laughs) There are some really interesting character choices made here. When Prue comes in, Phoebe is looking at her nails and being a nonchalant bitch. And then when she goes to the basement to thank the Woogie for her sporting equipment power, she materializes a nail file. She can also make like beauty equipment. Like that is amazing. I would make one of those like ultraviolet nail dryers (laughs) immediately. I want one so bad. And then later she's painting her nails in the basement. There are a few things that Alyssa Milano will repeat in this episode as she plays Phoebe fighting back and forth for control. And one of them we see first here when she regains control she becomes almost like childlike when she interacts with the shadow and this being her character's childhood fear makes this a brilliant acting choice Alyssa milano has so much depth like so much depth she is an incredible actress and she's so much better than the way that phoebe is written later i agree but do you know what else i noticed here and i I guess i'm not saying this is a bad choice because it's effective in the episode but it does have like a social connotation when phoebe is being evil she acts very seductive Mm kind of slutty yeah (laughs) and so we're kind of told that you know being promiscuous is synonymous with being evil and wanting to murder your sister which that's a bit of a stretch for me i can see that i guess i didn't read it as seductive but i guess i guess i could see that there are definitely moments when it's seductive for sure um and then like again the preoccupation with her nails so like superficial beauty so to care about your superficial appearance is evil apparently oh yeah i guess i didn't get that deep you know, there's with it. there's kind of a little bit of a okay have you ever heard of the virgin whore um yeah. duality yes dichotomy yeah, sorry absolutely. the virgin whore dichotomy i feel like that's a little bit what's going on here like it's not explicitly that but when you say she acts childlike and afraid when she's trying to gain back control like that would be the virgin mentality and when she's evil she's most definitely the whore i can make a strong case for that so i feel like there's a little bit of that going on here and the virgin whore dichotomy is often 
you know, made synonymous with good and evil. And that's just a little bit problematic in a sex positive world. I definitely didn't read it that way. I saw I saw the childlike aspects as more of like a post traumatic stress regression, as opposed to like a slut virgin sort of a deal. I didn't read it that way. But I could see the argument being made for that. Well, again, I'm not saying that it it definitely doesn't fail as a character choice. I think it's very effective, mostly because Alyssa Milano can literally sell anything that these fucking writers give her. But I just think, I don't know, I think that's worth mentioning. I think that you're right about the childlike fear part being pretty spot on with the whole boogeyman thing in general. Um, And I think she does it great. I think she does it really great. I just think that the way her evil persona is a little bit slutty is problematic. I just, I didn't, I didn't see it that way. Um, Wait till we get to the part where Andy shows up and yeah absolutely i can that makes sense and there's this thing that she does like when she is kind of trying to regain control where she'll like freeze for a moment and like kind of like tremble and the way that she does that is just really really effective and i love it and i think that's why maybe i didn't pick up on the slutty vibes because i was so captivated by her performance of like almost changing at the drop of a hat just these instantaneous ballpoint changes that Alyssa Milano was making. It's just really wonderfully done. I really like it a lot. I think she's... Well, Alyssa Milano effectively plays three characters in this episode, and she plays them all well. Yeah. Because she's she's Phoebe, but she's also childhood Phoebe, and then she's possessed Phoebe. And there are three distinct characters, all played by the same person, sometimes in rapid succession before your eyes. And does she do a good job? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. 100%. So we have a lot of Phoebe hanging out in the basement now that she's possessed, which is um, creepy in its own right because we were told not to expect that, but also creepy because she's like in the basement, like talking to a shadow. She's, you know, she's repeatedly doing her nails and she magically changes the color of her nail polish, which is a pretty neat detail. Um, I definitely noticed that same thing where there's a lot of Phoebe like doing her nails mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's evil, which I, I could make like a statement about like standards of beauty or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But did Alyssa Milano in this show, did she kind of make that whole like looking at your nails, filing your nails while being bitchy? Like, did she make that iconic right here? She might have. Did she do that? Mm-hmm. Maybe she did. Maybe she did. I love it. Maybe she did. Upstairs, Piper is being assaulted by her appliances like it's maximum overdrive. (laughs) And Prue comes in not naked, (laughs) but in a row, asking Piper if she turned up the hot water heater again. Like this is a regular thing she does for like hijinks or kicks. I know I like to play with the appliances to piss off my roommate. Like, and they realize that something is definitely going wrong just as their dinner guests arrive and nothing is anywhere near ready um the woogie man is just downright bitchy in this portion like it changed the time on the microwave clock yeah (laughs) that's bitchy and do you know what that same shit happened and don't look under the bed the boogie man changed the clocks yeah it did oh my god so many parallels so many parallels Mm -hmm. so many piper pours flour all over herself for reassurance (laughs) she's like i can do this and then just dumps the bag on her head okay that's not precisely what happened but that's pretty close and she i feel i feel like this was like another instance of like piper almost has this character trait at this point at like blaming the world (laughs) for things that she does herself Like, she's like, everything is fine. And then she haphazardly pours flour all over the place. And then she's like, this is the house's fault. (laughs) But the gay baiter is here. Apparently his name is Josh, which is so very Broke Straight Boys. So very. Uh, Not that I know. Not that I've heavily researched Broke Straight Boys. And he brought the wine he took from Piper at the store. That's just insult to injury at this point. Honestly. Piper's like, you. And he's like, 
me. <laughs> uh, Phoebe does this magic trick for the dinner guests while Piper nearly burns down the fucking house. Um, I want to talk about something here because, okay, so this whole episode has kind of been a lesson for me in double checking the goofs that people report on the internet. Okay. Okay, so this is going to become relevant here in a minute. So in this scene where Phoebe brings out the duck medallions, also, by the way, um, Piper was serving duck medallions and Cocovan at this dinner party, both of which are duck, which I think is strange. Isn't she supposed to be a chef? Yeah, apparently all she knows how to make is duck. <laughs> so anyway, so when Phoebe brings out the duck medallions and then there's this magic sound effect and it's actually just a live duck on the platter... And everyone's like, oh, it's a magic trip. And Phoebe's like, hi, I'm ruining your life. Um, Okay. So anyway, in this scene, there are two other people in the scene who we, one of them is in the background and one of them, we only see their shoulder. So I think that these two people were supposed to be the rest of the dinner guests. That They're like Buckland's clients. And we're going to see them later. And it looks like a mistake, but it's not. So I think they had extras to make it seem like it was an actual dinner party rather than just Claire and Professor Crazy Eyes. And I almost wonder if maybe like the extras were in more of the scenes, but maybe they got like just cut out for time constraints because they weren't relevant. Like, I don't know why the decision was made to include these two extras whose faces we don't see who have no lines. I don't know. Like that's, it's just very strange, but it would be equally strange to have a dinner party where, like, Claire was like, here's the guest list. It's me, this bitch, and your family. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's super weird. The whole thing the whole thing is weird. I feel like they added these extras to try to make it seem more legit, but then due to the weird cuts and editing, it just almost seems like they're there by mistake. Because in a later scene that these same extras are in, um, if you go to IMDb, it says that it's a mistake where the casting, where the, um, where the crew was in the shot. But I don't think that's the case. I think there was originally a storyboard for there to be other people from Buckland's at the event. And then due to some weird cutting and editing, it just turns into something strange. <laughs> yeah, I can, I could see that happening. Cause I know, I know that you were going to call out these people when we get to it in just a couple minutes. I did not realize that they were in this scene until literally yesterday when I was rewatching the episode. And then I was like, Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's like later on when they're getting ready to leave the manor, there are these two random fucks in the background, like trying to leave the manor. And then they go outside and the next shot is professor crazy eyes and everybody else. And we don't see the other two people again. <laughs> I love that. She's professor crazy. eyes. No. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just like, it's really weird. And so while these editing mistakes are happening, Prue is being expositioned basically to death by the stringy-haired know-it-all bitch about her house's <laughs> geographical location and spiritual significance. And this theme of their house being a spiritual nexus stays a main plot point for the rest of the show, pretty much. Now, we're going to get into this further, obviously, but I just want to say that, like, okay, so we're we're establishing Professor Crazy Eyes as an authority here because she's a professor of architecture or architectural history. Mm-hmm. I don't see what that has to do with the spiritual nexus thing because if we take away all the metaphysics, she's still talking about geography. <laughs> yeah. Which is not at all the same thing as architecture. No, and it's literally, like, just a house. And she says she uses their house in a lecture where she talks about occultism and mythology in her architecture class. And she's tenured? 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, more more power to you, Professor Crazy Eyes. Yeah, okay, so anyway, everything's gone to shit. Um, Prue blames Phoebe, and Piper blames the house, and technically they're both right. As they go try to end this train wreck, Phoebe takes the nutty professor <laughs> to the basement. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Phoebe takes the nutty professor down to the basement and uh, gets her all possessed and shit. And then they all go off to Quake, even though it was earlier mentioned that it was too late <laughs> to get the food from Quake. Um, I think I think but- it's it was too late to get the dinner cooked and brought from Quake. But they can still go and, like, eat there. It's just not going to be, like, I- a full feast, right? I just... I just think, I just think Piper plays fast and loose with the way that she's allowed to abuse her position at that restaurant. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Um, this is the part where um, you see the other random people in the background. They open the door before Professor Crazy Eyes gets over there. But in the next shot, it looks like Crazy Eyes is walking out of the door that she just opened herself. Um, and those two people are like nowhere to be seen again. It's I don't know. It's weird. It's edited really poorly. Is is it's the edited thing. really poorly? It's it sort of seems to me like they probably did more shots with the extra people and then decided to cut them out for the most part. But then they didn't have any shots to use for certain scenes that they weren't in. So they just kind of had to deal with it. Like that's what it looks like happened to me. Yeah, I, I'm sure the other scenes that. If there were other scenes where you saw them, they just got cut for time. Pretty much, you know. Yeah. Um, so Piper and Prue are locked out of the house by this mystical barrier. And Phoebe is clearly evil now, but you can tell she's fighting really hard. And now she has creepy video game boss voice. <laughs> she does. So let's play a, a sound clip of their exchange, because it's honestly pretty eerie. He does. <laughs> right? That's what it was like. It really is. That was really good. Piper and Prue slept on a stoop and went to fetch a professor. Phoebe's inside <laughs> ordering pizza ahead of time. What the and the wallpaper comes writing? tumbling after. <laughs> I know, like we're suddenly in a limerick. What the fuck? Yeah, so fucking Phoebe is walking around the manor. The wallpaper is just peeling off of the walls. And then she sets her grandma on fire. Talk about, hey now, hey now. Like, <laughs> Why aren't you so funny today? <laughs> uh, the picture burning effect, though, is really, really cool. I think it looks really nice. As, like, dark as it is, I think it looks really cool. They do some some neat effects in this episode where, like, so there's these, these shots of Phoebe walking through the house and just kind of, like, fucking shit up. Like, she's breaking glass and she's peeling the wallpaper off. She's setting her grandma on fire. And then later... They're going to play all these shots in reverse to show them like magically reversing. And it looks pretty cool. It just does. It does look pretty cool. But there's this weird like, like sound effect that plays as everything's going back on. That's like really cheesy and bad. So now we're cutting over to the campus where Prue and Piper are rolling up just as Professor Crazy Eyes is being arrested. And Sean Cody is like, bitch went crazy. She done choked my ass. Go rummage through her stuff. (laughs) Um, This is such a minor detail from a one second shot. But the police car that Professor Crazy Eyes is put into has the Los Angeles Police Department insignia on the door, not the San Francisco Police Department insignia. Um, And I did I did look them up to make sure this was true. And it is. So 
I, I guess either Charmed just really didn't want to spring for a new cop car, or maybe Professor Crazy Eyes is wanted in multiple counties and is just blaming her obvious criminal streak and stalker tendencies on the boogeyman. So typical. Okay, so in the professor's office, we get this scene that's always really stood out in my mind. They talk about the spiritual nexus and how it's equidistant from the five spiritual elements. However, the elements they are equidistant from are not the five Wiccan spiritual elements. These spiritual elements of fire, water, earth, wood, and metal are from a concept in Taoism and other Eastern philosophies called Wuxing. Obviously, Wicca is very Western in origin, so I find this inclusion kind of interesting. I doubt there was any real thought behind it. The main reason I found in my research for like the difference in the system really breaks down to like translation and worldview. But I'm sure Siren has a lot of information to regale us with. So let's... Bitch, let's, you know I do. <laughs> let's let them talk about it. Um, so I think that this is a really cool scene. Just unfortunately, upon um, analysis, it doesn't really hold up. Um, I want to preface this by saying that neither Phoenix or I are experts on Wuxing. And honestly, it's far too complicated for us to do it justice in this podcast, like I think it would require its own episode. So we're not going to fully get into it here. But um, what I do want to say is that Wuxing dates back to at least 100 BCE and possibly all the way to 700 BCE. So it's a very old philosophy. As a philosophy in Asia, it influenced divination, alchemy, feng shui, astrology, medicine, music, military strategy, and martial arts. So um, it has been applied to all sorts of fields in Asian study. Wow. Um, yeah. So we tend to think of it as only the like mystical stuff, but it's far, far beyond that. Wuxing is pretty well misunderstood by Westerners because it's so often compared to the Western four or five elements, um, but they're really not the same at all. The five Western elements describe states of matter, physical properties, and different kinds of energies. The five Eastern elements are better described as phases, and some people will not even call them elements because phases is a more accurate word, or season, that everything in nature contains and goes through. Because Wuxing is about processes and timelines, not fundamental differences like earth, air, fire, and water, its application in this episode doesn't really make sense. The way they treat the five elements here is like they are fundamentally different from each other, separated into different places. That kind of philosophy is more characteristic of earth, air, fire, and water. Wuxing would not hold that there was a special place for only one of each element. It would hold that every place goes through the cycles of wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. However, charts that describe the relationships between the five eastern elements do contain lines that form a pentacle. So it's not super off for them to create a pentacle with these elements. However, that would definitely not be described as Wiccan. Uh, people often forget that the pentacle is one of the world's oldest known symbols and does not exclusively belong to a religion formed in the 1950s. Um, second of all, I want to say that Piper claims Twin Peaks is the highest point in San Francisco and associates that with the whooshing element of Earth. Uh, first of all, Mount Davidson is actually the highest point in San Francisco, being a whole six feet taller, apparently. But also, reaching high up into the sky is not something whooshing would associate with Earth, but rather with wood. So they begin to literally map out the spiritual nexus and find that all of the connecting dots of the elements creates a pentagram that their house sits in the center of. And Prue says, so it's not just a spiritual nexus, but a Wiccan one as well. As if Wiccans and witches own pentagrams. And it's a battleground for good and evil. But why though? So here, see, as cool as this scene was to me the first time I watched it, it's 
just full of misrepresentation. Yeah. <laughs> just full of it. So we've already been through how it ris- misrepresents Wuxing and the five Eastern elements or phases. But now she's saying that anything Wiccan is a battleground for good and evil. Bitch, have you ever read a book on Wicca? Because they don't believe in, like, fighting anything. It's love and light, Henny. <laughs> this is, it's literally not a Wiccan pentagram at all. The elements are not the same for it to apply to Wicca. Though I suppose air and spirit would be hard to find geographical landmarks for. So I think that's, and- yeah. I honestly, I think that's the main reason they tried to go with the Eastern elements instead of the Western ones, because it would be easier to find landmarks for them. Um, However, it is worth pointing out that Wicca is the Build-A-Bear of religions, and some Wiccans do incorporate the five Eastern elements into their practice. Now, whether they do it with a full understanding of Wuxing is a different story. Andy and Daryl are back in the episode doing whatever it is they do, because it's not solved crimes. Mm -hmm. They're investigating the murder of Professor Crazy Eyes not killing anybody (laughs) and getting taken away by the police of a different city. (laughs) Daryl goes to break up a homeowners association lawn fight, and Andy... And he gets fucked by the boogeyman, essentially. Kinky. Um, okay, so this scene, it definitely establishes the virgin horror dichotomy for me because Phoebe's all, like, fondling the door frame and, like, acting like she's defenseless and helpless and needs a man to rescue her. Oh, Andy. And she's just got this, yeah, she's got this, like, very flirtatious tone of voice. Come in and take advantage of me. Come in and check out the gas leak. Mr. Plumber, or whatever this porn is about. <laughs> I'm so helpless and vulnerable with this gas leak in my, <laughs> in my basement. Ooh. Can you come check out my basement? <laughs> but Piper and Prue use this as an opportunity to break back into their own house and figure out what the fuck is going on, even though Phoebe kind of already told them. And they realize that Phoebe froze, which means she's a bad, bad girl now. She froze even though she and Piper were not in the same room. Not at all. Piper was outside the house. Phoebe was inside the house. And she froze even though she couldn't freeze the werewolf um, because there was a broken ass phone booth wall in the way. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Whatever is convenient, that is how things work. (laughs) Honestly. Must be nice. Andy comes out of the house and almost shoots a civilian, which is like... A cop would never do that. Oh, I felt like he was, like, pointing his gun at Daryl. Oh. So this scene, this scene is extreme. So, you know, Andy's now been possessed by the shadow boogeyman whatever to go out and do evil, like everybody who goes into the basement does. And he pulls his gun on Daryl outside the house. And because Daryl is a badass motherfucker, and he ain't sweating no whitey, he, like, knocks Andy on his ass on the ground and everything is fine. But, like, how do we recover from this scene, realistically? Right. Like, how does, how does in the next episode, Daryl forget that Andy pulled a gun on him? And how does, like, Andy keep his job? Because the consequence for this is that Andy gets, like, suspended for a week or something. Like, he's in fucking high school and he, like, graffitied a locker. Well, Siren, I don't know if you have noticed... I have. But cops don't really have to suffer the consequences of their actions very often. I do get that. But typically that's when they pull guns on civilians, not like... Other other cops. And just the way that like Daryl and Andy stay friends afterwards, that's just a little hard for me. It's hard for me to swallow. So back in the house, the book is completely unhelpful yet again. 
And Phoebe goes full-on homicidal, which would be convenient if Andy wasn't full of ghost cum. Because uh, <laughs> it would give him something to do. Ew. Ew. <laughs> he could actually, like, solve a murder. Uh, Prue tries to reason with Phoebe. And Phoebe's like, I'm going to kill your ass, bitch. And then the crew of Charmed proceeds to pull a stunt double across the room with a harness and barely edits it to make it look real. Now, you apparently noticed something in that scene that I did not. Because, I I mean, you know, a lot of those scenes happen pretty quickly and it angles to um, to make them look realistic. But so you noticed a bunch of stuff that made this one look unrealistic. Well, it's like Phoebe moves at the hips first when she starts to move. And that it doesn't look like a fluid movement of being, like, moved and thrown mm-hmm. by Prue's power. The way that it looks at other times, particularly in the next episode, it looks really good. But in this one, it's like Phoebe moves, like, from the hips and it just looks like she's being pulled rather than being, like, flung. Well, maybe Prue is just so incensed with rage at her homicidal sister that she aimed her telekinetic eye laser right at Phoebe's coochie. <laughs> There Okay, so, like, Charmed sometimes does strange things to progress the plot forward, and there's definitely one of those right here. So, um, Prue and Piper are hiding from Phoebe in the attic, and they're, like, arguing about how they don't know how to deal with the Wookiee Man. And, um, <clears throat> so in order to get Phoebe into the attic, Piper is bitching, and while she's bitching, she walks across the attic floor and opens the attic door which Phoebe is on the other side of. Why did she do that? (laughs) I don't know. Like it was literally blocking to get Phoebe back into the scene so that she and Prue could like fight or whatever. But just like, I don't know. It's just like a silly thing. Like sometimes the way that the sisters move and the things that they do to move the narrative forward don't make logical sense. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. I mean, that's why they get in so much trouble all the time. Right, because Piper can't stop herself from clomping across the attic floor and throwing doors open, I guess. So they make their way downstairs, and after Piper gets bitch slapped by the front door again, uh, they come to the realization that they're fighting a shadow. And so they grab a fucking flashlight to try to fight this shadow with the light. It's very literal. It's very literal. Now, I do think that this episode speaks to Phoebe's character for the entire show, because we will repeatedly confront the theme of Phoebe being both good and evil and wrestling with those two sides of herself for the entire show, really. And sometimes it's more in your face and literal than others. Yeah. But it's definitely a huge continuous part of her character. I think it's really cool in this episode. I think it's done really well in this episode. Later on, I find it very trivial and I'll talk about it when we get there. But Phoebe's whole storyline, like after season two, I hate it. I hate it. I just hate it. It does get a little get a little rougher. After season two, I don't really like the character of Phoebe all that much because it just it's so tunnel vision and stupid. Uh, so and I just had like a full conversation with one of our Instagram l- listeners uh, about this the other day. They sent me like a link about Phoebe's character development. And I was like, actually, I don't think Phoebe develops all that much. But that's a story for another time. Prue and Piper go down to the basement to battle this blob. And Phoebe's like, ha ha ha, gotcha, bitches. Uh, but then she has a premonition. The same premonition the same, of her grandmother. The same premonition of her grandmother that's enough to weaken his hold on her and make her like, mm, maybe I won't kill my sisters. Mm, maybe not today. And so using these concepts of darkness and light, she then recites the following spell. Hi. Light. 
am one too strong to fight. Return to dark where shadows dwell. You cannot have this Halliwell. Keep it going, Phoebe. Go away and leave my sight. This is Misspelled, the part of the show where we critique spells used by TV witches and talk about how a real witch might do the same thing. So this spell is essentially like an exorcism or a banishing spell. And I have adapted these exact words. Uh, I made them a lot less specific to like a last name. I was just going to ask. So what did you do with that part? What did you do with the part where they say you cannot have this Halliwell? Um, so I used the phrase, uh, I am light. I am one too strong to fight. Return to dark where shadows dwell. Be gone now, spirit, with this spell. Oh, I like that. Go away, leave my sight, take with you this endless night. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm like a writer or whatever. You're like so clever. And so I've never had the need to use it because I've never unleashed a gas bubble from my basement floor with a screwdriver. That's lucky. Yeah, no, super lucky. This is really a cautionary tale. It really is. Put your screwdrivers away and just get some quickcrete, okay? But if I were going to do this spell, I have a very specific... So the way that I've incorporated this spell is by making it like a cleansing ritual or a banishing ritual. And I will, in my Book of Shadows, I think I wrote just use whatever incense you like, whatever blends you like. And I have a very specific incense blend that I like to use for banishing, which is a combination of juniper berries and rowan wood. And it has been very, very effective. And it, that sounds like it smells really it good. It smells so good. And it's been a very, very effective blend. Every time I have used it, it's done the trick. My favorite banishing cleansing herb is rosemary. Ooh. I, I love rosemary. I think it smells so good. I also think it like tastes so good. It's just one of my favorite herbs. Um, I love the idea of juniper berries. Um, oh my gosh, I think they smell fantastic too. Um, the other one that I would add is like lavender. And I don't even know if that is like an actual, um, thing for lavender or whatever. But I just, rosemary and lavender is just kind of like my go-to thing. That would be, that sounds like it smells amazing, first of all. It does. Best. But lavender, I think it, I don't think it specifically has cleansing properties, but it's really great for promoting peace. And yeah. that's what I associate lavender with. So I think you could absolutely use it in a, in a banishing, cleansing sort of a deal to like push out one thing and bring in a peaceful sort of like serenity. I think that would be great. So do you think that like most witches are going to resort to some kind of like burning an herbal blend for this sort of thing since we both do? I would, I would assume so. I think anytime I do... So herbs are kind of new for me. I'm very recently getting into herbs and it's made my magic a lot more effective if I'm entirely honest. And so I've always associated smoke cleansing with exorcism and banishing. And so I think an herbal blend is is the way that I would go about doing this. But you could do it with a bell. You could do it with a sound I bowl. I fucking love bells. Oh my yeah. God. We talked about banishing in episode three. And we talked about using it with brooms. You could accompany this incantation with like a besom cleansing or 
Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I love this spell. I think the rhyme is really effective. It sticks out in your mind. It is a really nice rhyme. And I, I like that you just really had to change one line to make it universal. Yeah. And like that. I think in my book of shadows, I have it listed as a spell to cast out evil. And I think it would be really, really effective for that. So, I, I mean, I approve of this spell. It gets my stamp of approval. I think it would be effective. Um, I'm not always a fan of spells that are just like an incantation, like just words and don't have any sort of like symbolism or actions associated. So I do always tend to pair it with a, like a smoke cleansing herbal blend or I use salt water for cleansing a lot. I know you have feelings about salt, but I would use salt water as well. Um, I have this banishing water that I made out of a Himalayan salt rock that I boiled down into water. Yeah, because the light part had broken and the like base of it was really loose. So I just took it off and I boiled it down into water. And I will usually put that in a spray bottle, smolder the juniper and rowan wood, and spritz the salt water around. That sounds super awesome. <laughs> I love it. It works really well. It works really well. I do want to say that, like, you know, with witchcraft, everything is um, personal preference and what's feasible for you. But I actually like having spells that are just incantations. And a lot of my Book of Shadows is like that. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is you never know what you might be able to have with you or on hand at any given time. But words coming out of your mouth are free. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't think that they're ineffective by any means. I I get you. I just wanted to say for the listeners. Yeah. If you just want to chant, if that feels like it's working for you, do that. For me, I just, I like the bells and whistles and going through the motions. So, but see, I also, I also like having spells that are just chants because I can sort of do whatever I want with whatever I feel like with whatever I have on hand. And then I'll just like pair that with like this thing I already have prepared. If I get things too much prepared, then I'll start to feel like stifled. How, how do you feel about this spell? Overall? Uh, this spell actually also gets my seal of approval. Can you imagine? I think that's the first time that we like, I think it's the first time that it's happened that we've been like, yeah, this would work. This is, I mean, this, this checks out. This checks yeah. out. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would work just fine. I think you could do it for exactly this thing. If you feel like there's something bad in your house, I think you could edit the words a little bit. If your last name's not Hallowell and mm-hmm. use this just fine. Right. Well, it doesn't even have to be like, if you feel like there's something supernaturally evil in your house, it just could be like bad vibes or bad habits or bad patterns. You yeah, know? absolutely. I th- just anything negative you want to like get rid of. Yeah, I think it would absolutely work. So pretty short segment, but that, I mean, that's how we would do this spell if we were going to do this spell. And I think it would work just fine. So fortunately, in addition to sealing the woogeyman back into the concrete of the basement, the spell also renovates their house and puts all the wallpaper back in order. Fixes all the light bulbs, brings the picture of their grandma back. Handy. Piper goes to check on Professor Crazy Eyes and runs into Sean Cody. uh, (laughs) And he gives her a bottle of wine. The same bottle. The same bottle of wine. Which was sold out everywhere, which means that he actually put some effort into that. Yeah. And by the, you know, by next week, Piper's going to be really tired of Clara Jensen 93. Right. And be like, is this all our relationship is to you? (laughs) It's a bottle of wine. In the final scene, we learn that everything is pretty much back to normal as the sisters clean up the mess they made. Um, We also learned that Phoebe was born in the house, which I thought was a really cool piece of information. I didn't like we didn't know that before. And it wasn't mentioned until the very end of the episode. 
Correct. But that makes... So we have a little, little bit more backstory. Yeah, there. that makes her a spiritual nexus as well. So, which funnels into that, you know, Phoebe could be good or evil thing that we deal with for the rest of the show. She could go either way. Yeah. And she does. We love a bisexual icon. I was gonna say, does being born on the spiritual nexus also make you bisexual? Because, cool. Um, so the sisters decide that it's important to warn the next generation about the boogeyman. They add to the book for the first time, and their book of shadows is filled with these absolutely elaborately illustrated pages and they're going to add to it with that basic ass pen. No respect. No, no respect. respect. Where's the artwork? Where's the creativity? Where's the markers and stickers? <laughs> like, I mean, that's how I would do it. Get creative. Get creative. I used watercolors or for my page on this spell. So yeah. Uh, what did you think of this episode, Simon? What are your final thoughts? I really, unfortunately, I guess I almost like it a little bit less now that I had to do some deep dive analysis into some of it, but... It doesn't shake too hard my feeling that this is one of my favorite episodes. It's still enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll be, I'll be able to put aside my new information about Wuxing and all that and still enjoy the episode in the future. Yeah, I didn't know about the inaccuracies in the elemental representations before hearing your research on the topic. Um, but it doesn't change my opinion of the episode. I think it's well written. I think it's really well acted. And those are the things that I really look for overall in a show is the writing and the acting. If both of those things are really believable to me, I can overlook pretty much anything else. But that is definitely something that we want to pay attention to and address because that's what we do here. But yeah, I loved this episode. I overall my thoughts are it's a good one. It's a good one. Thankfully, nobody died in this episode. But my kill of the day is definitely the affair those two neighbors were having because there's no way they're <laughs> there's no way they're going at it again after that fight. Oh, that's probably for the best. I don't need that visual right now. <laughs> um, my kill of the day would have to be um, the careers of Professor Crazy Eyes and Gas Man, who because they're not police officers, um, they're definitely going to lose their jobs over wanton violence. Yep. That was, of course, not their fault, while the charmed ones with their infinite magical powers do absolutely nothing to help these people. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. Kill of the day. Um, if I were going to rate this episode, I would give it one being of indeterminate origin that really likes to get around because same queen. That is so you. Same. Oh um, if I had to rate this episode, I would give it two. Two wide open, bulging, crazy ass eyes. That bitch is stalking you, Prue. Get out of the house. <laughs> uh, all right, Siren, where can the people find you? Um, I guess if you like really want to, you can follow my Facebook page, Siren Spectacular, non-binary meme witch. You can follow me on Twitter at Siren Spectacular, or you can watch my coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations. You can follow me at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow the podcast at WBRcast on all social media platforms. If you have a question or something you'd like to hear us talk about, please feel free to send us an email at whichbereview at gmail.com. All right, you alcoholic gay for pay twinks. Until next time, keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. Bye. Right, so now we're cutting to uh, Prue and Pee-Pee roll up on the campus Prue, just as Prue, Professor Prue, Crazy Eyes. Prue and Pee-Pee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Maybe you should take that one again. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?